Welcome to the House of Surgery, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Surgeons. In this series, you'll hear from and about surgeons in all specialties, in all practice configurations, and in all locations. Their success stories, advice, challenges they've overcome, and words of inspiration as they serve their patients with quality, integrity, and professionalism, and strive to heal all with skill and trust. This episode features Dr. Henri Ford, who was installed during Clinical Congress 2023 in Boston as the American College of Surgeons 104th President. Shortly afterward, he delivered his presidential address, Achieving Our Best Together, hashtag inclusive excellence. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not necessarily those of the American College of Surgeons. Enjoy the program. It is a distinct privilege and an unimaginable honor for me to address you tonight as your president. I stand here because my God in his infinite wisdom, mercy, and grace saw fit to take this unworthy, imperfect vessel from the backwoods of Haiti and elevate him to the pinnacle of American surgery. I ask myself, how did I get here? So please indulge me just for a few minutes as I share with you my American dream. I'm the sixth of nine children, born to a preacher named Guillaume Ford and a prayer warrior named Jean-Jean Louis. At an early age, they taught us the importance of faith in God, the value of education, and service to others. I learned from my father, albeit the hard way, that there is truly no satisfactory substitute for excellence. So it is the reason why when I left Haiti, ended up in Brooklyn, New York, just before my 14th birthday, not speaking English, I overcame the language barrier in high school to earn a full scholarship to Princeton. Along my journey, I've been blessed with several outstanding mentors and sponsors, whether at John Jay High School, Princeton, Harvard Medical School, Wild Cornell Medical College, or the University of Pittsburgh. I simply do not have enough time to acknowledge all my teachers, advisors, medical students, research fellows, pediatric surgery fellows, and partners who are responsible for my being here tonight. You have helped mold me into the person that I am, and I thank you. But I would be remiss if I didn't take the time to acknowledge just a few individuals. In high school, I was blessed with the best possible guidance counselor, Mrs. Ann Bender, who pushed me to pursue the more rigorous college-bound curriculum. After ninth grade, I enrolled in summer school to improve my command of the English language, and there I met a teacher's assistant named Linda Colon, a rising junior at Princeton University, who encouraged me to consider Princeton for, for college. My 11th grade teacher, Mrs. Nancy Levine, would not tolerate anything but an A from me in her honors English class. These individuals were instrumental in my getting accepted at Princeton. The summer before college, I enrolled in an enrichment course, an enrichment program for underrepresented minority pre-medical students who were about to matriculate in select highly competitive colleges. The director of the PrEP program, as it was called, Mrs. Alice Miller, 
ensure that we had a solid foundation in chemistry and calculus and provided much needed guidance in course, regarding course selection, study skills, and resources necessary to succeed in college. Tonight, I can proudly say that three members of the summer program class have been inducted into the National Academy of Medicine, perhaps the highest distinction one can achieve in American medicine. At Princeton, I encountered several outstanding role models, and two individuals stand out in terms of their significance. Randall Kennedy, a brilliant history major who earned a Rhodes Scholarship my freshman year and is currently a professor of law at Harvard Law School, and Gary Gibbons, who I later followed to Harvard Medical School and is now the director of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute at DNIH. Their accomplishments inspired me and convinced me that I too could excel at Princeton. At Harvard Medical School, the individuals with the greatest impact on my life were my chief resident during my surgery clerkship, Dr. Kurt Newman, who ignited my passion for surgery, and also my mentor and academic advisor, Dr. Richard Emanuel Wilson, the late Dr. Wilson, better known as Dick Wilson, who midway through my surgery clerkship, after a grueling 10-hour case waiting for an elevator to go home, he approached me and he said, Henri, have you considered going into general surgery? I believe you would have a brilliant career in academic surgery. This, these prophetic words clearly changed my life, and that brief exchange is largely responsible for my being here tonight. I'm matching general surgery at New York Hospital Cornell, now Wild Cornell Medical College. I'd encountered very, very few African-American or underrepresented minority professors during my journey at Princeton, Harvard, or Cornell. Since to whom much is given, much is required, as one who had been privileged to attend and get trained at some of the best institutions in the United States, I felt compelled to pursue a career in academic surgery to inspire other underrepresented minority pre-medical and medical students. I chose pediatric surgery because that's the discipline where I felt I could make the biggest difference. So I approached my department chair, Dr. Tom Shires, a great mentor and advocate, and also a past president of the American College of Surgeons, and I informed him that I wanted to do research in immunology. He sent me to work with someone he respected and trusted, Dr. Richard Simmons, a brilliant surgical immunologist who had just assumed the chair of surgery at Pittsburgh. I can never say enough about Dr. Simmons and what he means to me and the critical role he has played in my life. He epitomizes the word mentor. And after completing my research fellowship in general surgery residency, I went to the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh to train in pediatric surgery under Dr. Mark Rowe. Dr. Rowe taught me how to be a complete pediatric surgeon. And at the end of my fellowship, I joined the faculty at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. Uh, during the first two years on the faculty at Pitt, I probably submitted close to 10 grant applications without success, 0 for 10. But I remember Dick Simmons telling me that Academic surgery is not a 100-yard sprint. It is a marathon. Therefore, I needed to stick to it and not give up. My life changed, my life changed radically 
when I received the American College of Surgeons Faculty Fellowship Award towards the end of, the second year, of my second year on the faculty. It was truly transformative. It energized me to obtain preliminary data to study the pathogenesis of necrotizing enterocolitis, or NEC. And this award helped launch my research career, which ultimately established me in my lab among the leading authorities on NEC. I rose through the ranks at Pitt to become the tenured professor and the chief of surgery, and then subsequently got recruited to Children's Hospital Los Angeles as senior vice president and chief of surgery, as well as professor of surgery at the Keck School of Medicine of the University of Southern California. I was made vice dean for medical education within two years, and then 10 years later, I was recruited to the University of Miami to assume my current position as dean and chief academic officer of the Miller School of Medicine. I can honestly, I can honestly say that my career path would have been vastly different had I not received the ACS Faculty Fellowship Award. I've been fortunate to have several mentors and sponsors in academic surgery, especially to the Society of Black Academic Surgeons, such as Dr. LaSalle Fall, Dr. Claude Organ, and Dr. L.D. Britt, just to name a few. However, of all the blessings that I have received during my life, the one that I cherish the most is the woman I have been fortunate to call my wife for the over 39 years and the mother of our two beautiful children, Ariel and Alex. Donna, I stand here today because of your sacrifice, unselfishness, dedication, patience, and enduring love. And to my beautiful daughter, Ariel, and my handsome son, Alex, you are and will always be my raison d'etre. Initiates, new fellows. Tonight, you have been admitted to fellowship in a robust and vibrant organization whose motto since, since its inception has been omnibus per artem fidemque per dece, translated to heal all with skill and trust. The fundamental underpinning of this premise was for the ACS to set the highest standards for training in and for practicing surgery to ensure better outcomes for all patients. Now, all is an inclusive term that precludes discrimination on the basis of race, ethnicity, sex, gender, religion, geography, class, or sexual orientation. So by extrapolation, we can argue that the mission of the ACS is to ensure or promote health equity for all surgical patients. And this interpretation establishes an imperative for inclusive excellence. Numerous studies report improved overall outcomes when there is concordance between the patient and the healthcare delivery team. And furthermore, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine argue that increasing the participation and success of underrepresented racial and ethnic minorities in higher education contributes to the health of the nation, in part by improving access to quality health care. And I pause here to remind you that through the PrEP program that I mentioned previously, 
we produce three members of the National Academy of Medicine and countless other leaders in American medicine from my class alone. Thus, the overarching goal of healing all with skill and trust or achieving health equity for all surgical patients creates an imperative not only for inclusive excellence, but also for global engagement. So therefore, for my presidency, I have chosen the theme, achieving our best together. Hashtag inclusive excellence. As I reflect on the 110-year history of the American College of Surgeons, I can say unequivocally that it has made tremendous strides in embracing and championing diversity, especially during the past three decades. I believe that we are stronger and more vibrant tonight because of our intentional efforts to promote inclusive excellence. However, it wasn't always like that. Consistent with the norms of a segregated society, during its early years, the ACS struggled to champion diversity. Although Daniel Hale Williams, a fair-skinned African-American surgeon, was admitted to the inaugural class of 1913, it wasn't until 1934 that the Board of Regents admitted into fellowship the next African-American surgeon, Dr. Lewis Tompkins Wright. And that was after a, a, after a lengthy debate, even though the Harvard Medical School graduate met all the qualifications for admission to fellowship. His admission prompted the resignation of some fellows in protest. But the ACS affirmed its decision to admit this distinguished black surgeon to fellowship, but the board decided to impose a moratorium on the admission of African-American surgeons into fellowship for more than 10 years thereafter because of the threat of more resignations from, by surgeons from the South. In 1945, the board established a special committee on the relation of the colored surgeon to the American College of Surgeons to examine the appropriateness of admitting qualified black, black surgeons into fellowship. The committee recommended that black surgeons be admitted to fellowship if they met the qualifications. So despite the threats of massive resignation and the enormous societal pressures to uphold Jim Crowism, the board courageously admitted four black surgeons in 1945 and many more subsequently so that by 1950, there were more than 40 black ACS fellows, including the first black woman ACS fellow, Dr. Helen Octavia Dickens. From its inception in 1913, the overarching priority of the ACS has been to set the highest standards for training in and for practicing surgery to ensure better outcomes for all patients. The ACS served as the umbrella organization for the surgical societies. The ACS established the Commission on Cancer and the Committee on Trauma in 1922. The board played a key role in creating the infrastructure for training in surgery by establishing the Committee on Graduate Training for Surgery and the Surgical Specialties with representatives from OBGYN, thoracic surgery, ophthalmology, otolaryngology, orthopedic surgery, as well as neurosurgery. 
So together, these disciplines epitomize the notion that we achieve our best together. This multidisciplinary approach has resulted in superior surgical training programs and superior outcomes for trauma and cancer patients. And that is why tomorrow we will be meeting again with various representatives from those various surgical disciplines to begin to explore how we are going to strengthen the ties and achieve our best together. Now, although five women were admitted to fellowship in the ACS at the time of its inception, women surgeons were subsequently admitted very sporadically at best until 1970. In fact, the first female surgeon to join the ACS executive leadership team was Dr. Olga Jonathan, former chair of surgery at Ohio State in 1993. Her appointment coincided with the election of the first female region, Dr. Margaret Lungo, and the election of the first woman officer of the ACS, Dr. Katherine Anderson, who served as secretary. These appointments marked really a turning point in the history of the ACS that led to the election of the first African-American president, Dr. LaSalle Lafall, in 1995, as the ACS truly embraced the concept of inclusive excellence. Dr. Claude Organ was elected president in 2003, and Dr. Katherine Anderson became the first female president in 2005. This was followed by the election of Drs. L.D. Britt, Patricia Newman, Carlos Pellegrini, the first Hispanic president, and three women's presidents, Dr. Barbara Bass, Valerie Roche, and Julie Freischlag. Today, women make up nearly 13% of the ACS membership. But more importantly, this year's initiate class comprises nearly 30% women. That's progress. And two years ago, the Board of Regents hired its first woman executive director, Dr. Patricia Turner. My fellow colleagues, the changing physiognomy of the ACS has coincided with the most extensive proliferation of initiatives to support the fellows. For a long period, the Surgical Forum, established in 1941, and CSAP, the Surgical Education and self assessment Program that was established in 1971, as well as the Clinical Congress Fall and Spring meetings, were the only or the principal educational offerings of the ACS. Under the capable leadership of the inaugural director of the Division of, Educator, of Education, Dr. Ajit Sajdeva, we have seen radical expansion of quality educational programs. The division's overarching priority is to develop novel educational and training programs to equip all learners with the necessary tools to heal their patients with skill and trust. This is done through a broad range of educational offerings at the annual Congress, as well as simulation training at ACS accredited, accredited simulation centers to help practicing surgeons pursue lifelong learning develop and maintain surgical expertise to improve patient outcomes. 
The ACS Academy of Master Surgeon Educators, a byproduct of the Division of Education, is the ultimate vehicle to fulfill this goal because its mission is to refine the art, science, and practice of surgery by developing, well, not just surgery, but all surgical disciplines, by developing and promoting advanced pedagogical techniques and skills to better equip learners to teach, serve their patients, and improve health outcomes globally. Clearly, rather than lowering the standards of the ACS, inclusive excellence has exponentially improved the quality of its educational offerings as well as its overall significance and value to the membership. And although ACS has always championed the highest standards for training in and the practice of surgery, its quality programs have also vastly expanded over the past three decades, fueled in part by a more diverse membership and leadership. Prior to the 1990s, the Committee on Trauma, the Committee on Cancer, and the Trauma Verification Program were the principal quality programs offered by ACS. But since then, we have seen the introduction of numerous quality initiatives spanning various disciplines, including the Surgery Quality Improvement Program, NISQIP, the Trauma Quality Improvement Program, as well as verification programs for breast, bariatric, pediatric, rectal cancer, vascular, and emergency general surgery, all to ensure the highest surgical standards for the care of our patients. This accelerated proliferation of quality programs is largely due to the dynamic leadership of Dr. Clifford Cope, Director of the Division of Research and Optimal Patient Care. Further evidence that inclusive excellence does matter. The same argument applies to the ACS Division of Health Policy and Advocacy, the nexus of a strong coalition of more than 18 surgical organizations under the strong leadership of Christian Chaldron, which has become a forceful and influential voice in shaping national and state policies to empower surgeons to deliver quality health care to heal all with skill and trust. And similarly, with 56 international chapters, the ACS has become far more impactful globally. To the Health Outreach Program for Equity in Global Surgery, ACS HOPE, formerly known as OGB, which is aptly led by Dr. Germa Tafera, the ACS has endeavored to build surgical capacity in underserved areas in our home country, in the United States, but also in underserved areas in sub-Saharan Africa. It's an initiative that was started by President Valerie Rush. In collaboration with several departments of surgery in the United States, ACS Hope has developed three surgical training hubs in the College of Surgeons of, in the College of, Surgeons of East, Central, and Southern Africa, the Koseksa region. These include Hawassa, Ethiopia, Lusaka, Zambia, and Kigali, Rwanda, to ensure that surgeons in those regions can also heal their surgical patients with skill and trust. Thus, I submit to you that Despite what some critics and skeptics may argue, the ACS's bold and courageous embrace of inclusive excellence 
that began post-World War II and accelerated in the 1990s has allowed it to not only blossom, but also to deliver on the promise of its model to promote health equity for all surgical patients with unprecedented success. So, new fellows, the past three decades have not only reinforced the notion that we achieve our best together, but they also have framed convincingly and truly unequivocally that inclusive excellence is essential to accelerate progress. But the quest for health equity is far from over. As recently as 2021, after President Wade Meredith and the board established a regional committee on diversity, equity, and inclusion, there was a visceral response by some fellows who threatened to resign, reminiscent of the 1940s, despite the overwhelming evidence that inclusive excellence has allowed the ACS to blossom and to fulfill its mission more effectively. This is why you must carry the mantle in the struggle for health equity. And you must never waver from our core value that as surgeons, we achieve our best together. And as principal architects of the next chapter of the American College of Surgeons, you must commit to the relentless pursuit of inclusive excellence to ensure that we heal all patients with skill and trust. This is our duty. This is our purpose. And this is our calling. I'm honored and humbled for the privilege to serve as your president. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the House of Surgery podcast, brought to you by the American College of Surgeons. If you like this podcast, please rate it five stars and let your friends and colleagues know about the podcast. On social media, use the hashtag House of Surgery. You can learn more about the American College of Surgeons, its members, programs, products, and services at facs.org.